you're going to need to take on those higher variant situations sooner than you might need to in a deeper structure. You just have to understand that you will reach the end stages of the tournament faster. The biggest thing that separates a good player from a not so great player in these tournaments are how they play short stacks. As everyone becomes short stacked, it's uh, very much a pre-flop game and you need to be sound on your uh, pre-flop ranges that you're playing. Because of the speed of the tournament, you will not be able to wait for premium hands or the best spots. And I can't stress it enough, is don't overvalue trap hands. Well, greetings, everybody. Welcome once again to the Rec Poker Podcast. I'm your host, Steve Fredland. Excited to bring you another episode. We are officially sponsored by Running Aces Casino and Racetrack. Now, today we're going to be looking at uh, how do we translate what we learn for larger buy-in tournaments into the daily smaller buy-in and the faster structure tournaments that many of us play on a regular basis. So that's going to be the topic today. We will have contributions from Jonathan Little with PokerCoaching.com, as well as recreational players Matt Hamilton, Taylor Moss, Rob Washam, and Steve Olson. A couple of announcements before we get into this. Uh, as I mentioned before, the patches are available, both the sew-on and now the adhesive patches. So if that's something that you want to wear, if you want to represent Rec Poker, uh, we would love that. Uh, now, not everyone can wear a patch. I've got a few requirements, and uh, they are that as a player, you are a solid player and trying to get better. And I would know this from firsthand experience, or if you have somebody to vouch for you, or through our conversation, that'd be great. But you need to be a solid player trying to get better. And as a person, you need to be a gracious winner and a gracious loser. Uh, you can't be somebody who berates other players, and you can't be a polarizing figure on or off the felt. And finally, we need to have you connected to the podcast in some way, either as a regular listener or a contributor or otherwise championing what we're doing. So if you think you meet those qualifications, let me know, and we'd love to have you uh, be an ambassador for Rec Poker, wear the patch, and tell other people about what we're doing. So let us know. And we're also going to uh, have a couple of contests here. Uh, if you are uh, wearing a Rec Poker patch, and if you play a tournament, you can just take a picture, uh, post that picture on social media, tag Rec Poker on Twitter or Facebook, and uh, we'll give you a shout out on the podcast. Also, if you are highlighted in a winner's photo or some other photo that's posted by a casino for a tournament that you're playing and you're wearing the patch, uh, let us know, tag us on that, and we will get you into a quarterly drawing where we're going to be giving away $50 cash every three months uh, for those uh, those who are entered into that drawing. So uh, let me know if you want a patch. we got a number of people that are wearing them, and that's sort of exciting. Uh, so with that, uh, why don't we take a quick break here, and then we'll come back and dig into our topic. Running Aces Casino and Racetrack has the best poker room in Minnesota. Featuring 24-7 promos on all cash poker games, including earning $2 per hour in comps, plus the most player-friendly tourney structures. Visit RunAces.com for daily promotions and the tournament calendar. Running Aces Casino and Racetrack, the official sponsor of Rec Poker. Many of the books and a lot of the input that we get from our resident professionals is within the context of a larger buy-in tournament, which is generally a much deeper stacked and longer blind leveled tournament. So what are some of the key things that we need to keep in mind when we're considering that input about those tournaments and how it translates into some of the small weekly tournaments that many of us play? 
Now, these are tournaments perhaps where you start with maybe 10,000 chips facing blind levels of 15 to 20 minutes, and it goes pretty quick. So although the average stack is not really a benchmark, it's not really something that we consider as we're playing tournaments, it is useful as a reference point. And in these low buy-in weekly tournaments, often the final table has an average stack of 10 to 15 big blinds. So how do we adjust our learning about larger tournament, deeper stack strategies and what are the key things to consider in these types of tournaments that is different than the larger buy-in uh, multi-day tournaments? So that's the, th that's the question that we posed uh, to the recreational as well as the pro players. Now, first off, I'll give you some of my thoughts here. Um, and, and first of all, you know, you think about the books that we read, uh, and they're often categorized by our stack size. How do you play a deep stack? which is maybe you know, 45, 50 big blinds or more? How do you play a medium stack size, which is maybe uh, 25 to 40 big blinds? And then how do you play a small stack size, maybe 15 or less? Uh, and so a lot of the books sort of break those down. Uh, the blinds uh, change a little bit by, by book, but that's generally how, how you approach tournaments as you alter your structure a little bit based on uh, the number of blinds that you have. And every tournament, whether it's a a weekly tournament or it's a one of the big tournaments multi-day every tournament flows from stage to stage and we need to adjust it's just that we flow from stage to stage faster in these weekly tournaments so i think if you can keep the overall paradigm of how do you play a big stack a medium stack and a small stack in in your mind i think you just have to adjust a little bit quicker uh, and anticipate maybe those changes a little bit quicker in the, the smaller buy-in tournaments. So um, at the end of the day, what's going to happen is that you're going to be able to, you're going to need to take on those higher variant situations sooner than you might need to in a deeper structure. But I still believe that applying patience and discipline to your strategy is still the key to success. It's just that uh, those things are gonna transition sooner into needing to take more chances and inter introduce more variants a little sooner because of these these tournaments. Um, when you think about the, another difference is generally in these lower games, you've got weaker players, uh, which means that there's going to be more mistakes that are made, especially early on in tournaments. And so it's really looking to capitalize against those weaker players and against their mistakes. Uh, you're going to see more of those opportunities than you would in the higher buying tournaments. And also, I would say in the smaller tournaments like this, you see a much tighter bubble uh, because uh, a lot of the, the recreational players playing the lower stake really want to cash. They want to get the cash, but they also want to tell their buddies that they cashed as well. And so often the bubble is tighter in these games versus the bigger games um, where, where people are maybe not looking for that min cash as much, uh, but they do ramp up their aggression near the bubble trying to double up and, and try to build a stack to make a deep run. So I think the, the bubbles are actually tighter um, in, the, in the smaller tournaments. Uh, and also, sometimes I think about uh, if you have an average stack of 10 to 15 big blinds um, in the tournament, uh, then if you're sitting there with 10 big blinds, you have a lot more value in that sort of a tournament than you would in a situation where the average stack is 40 big blinds. So the, the smaller buy-in tournaments, often you get to that average stack of 15, 20 big blinds a lot sooner. And so you have 10 big blinds, and you and actually you're in better shape than, uh, than you would be in a bigger tournament. So um, I, I think we can wait a little bit longer before we feel like we have to get it in. I think our 
fold equity with 10 big blinds is a much higher in these tournaments than it is uh, later in, in the bigger, deeper stack tournaments. So in, in the bigger tournaments, I would say, you know, I, when I get down to 12 or 15 big blinds, I'm really looking to get it in because um, I really want to make sure I have enough fold equity if I'm trying to make a steal or if I'm trying to make a squeeze or trying to get the blinds and annies. So I need to have enough fold equity. If, if the average stack is 40 big blinds and I'm down to six or seven bigs, I just don't have enough fold equity. So I'm looking to get it in sooner in the, in the bigger tournaments. But in those daily uh, cheaper tournaments um, where it is not uncommon for 15 big blinds to be the average stack at the final table, I don't need as many bigs to have the same fold equity. So if I get down to six, seven, eight big blinds, that's when I really feel like I need to start uh, looking for those spots and really try to get aggressive. I think I still have a decent amount of fold equity typically with six to eight big blinds in that situation against most of the players at the table. So uh, when I'm at 12 or 15 bigs, I don't need to be as antsy to get it in because I'm actually fairly close to the average stack, which means um, which means that from an ICM perspective, I've got a fair amount of value that I don't need to uh, overplay in marginal spots. So I can wait for good spots with that with that quote unquote big <laughs> big of a stack. So those are some of my thoughts. Uh, but generally, I would say you can take the information that you learn um, and, and just it still applies in the smaller buying tournaments. It's just that it it applies quicker. And um, and maybe maybe one other thing would be uh, sort of the straightforward ABC poker uh, can be more effective, especially in the early mid stages of a lower buy-in tournament. Uh, one thing I've really tried to learn is that I don't need to make any fancy plays early, and in fact, that's when I usually get in trouble. I usually have no problem maintaining or even building chips early uh, in in one of these smaller tournaments. The only time I run into trouble is when I try to get too fancy or overplay hands. So I think it's pretty straight ABC poker is, is a pretty good formula uh, early in the smaller buy-in tournaments. So those are my thoughts. Uh, now we're going to hear from Jonathan Little, who is with PokerCoaching.com. Uh, and then after him, we'll hear from some of the recreational players. Hello, this is Jonathan Little of PokerCoaching.com. Today's question is an interesting one. It says that there are a lot of books that deal mostly with large buy-in tournaments with deep stacks and long blind levels. And I generally have to disagree with that. I just think that most of the books written by actual good players deal with those games. Um, that said, like I personally have two books on small stakes tournaments. I have Strategies for Beating Small Stakes Poker Tournaments and Mastering Small Stakes No Limit Hold'em. You can actually get both of those in the audiobook format for free at jonathanlittlepoker.com free if you never signed up for Audible. So those resources are certainly available. And in preparation for those, I went down and I played small stakes tournaments a decent amount of the time. Um, the general question though is, what adjustments should you make when you start with 10,000 chips and face blind levels of 15 to 20 minutes? Well, the first question is, how, what are the blinds, right? 10,000 chips can be a ton if you're playing 510, or not very many if you're playing 500 to 1,000, right? I do generally understand though that a lot of these smaller stakes tournaments, especially at a lot of local casinos, will be over in like four or five hours and they start with something like 60 players. And whenever you're playing a tournament like that, you just have to understand that the blind levels will get high quickly. And I mean, for example, all of my books have extensive sections on how to play short stacked because inevitably in all tournaments, you will eventually get short stacked, especially if your opponents play well. So these games effectively force you to play that short stacked strategy. 
Um, I've been traveling a decent amount to commentate, most recently at Stone's Gambling Hall in Sacramento, California. And um, my final table, I, I commentated a final table where the average stack was something like 15 big blinds. And a lot of players were making huge blunders. They were just like limping with all of their garbage and then limp folding, or they were not making very easy shoves from late position when they were very clearly profitable. And that's a mistake. So um, the question was, how do you adjust your learning about larger tournament strategy? And what are the key things to consider in those types of tournaments that are different, or you know, small tournaments that are different than the large buy-in multiple day tournaments? And really, I don't think that they are that different. You just have to understand that you will reach the end stages of the tournament faster. And that's okay. It means you're going to go broke faster. You're going to win the tournament faster if you happen to win. And you don't really need to make too many adjustments. You just have to understand that these structures are different. But just because the blinds go quickly does not mean that you should all of a sudden be gambling recklessly. Sure, you don't have a whole lot of time to try to build a stack. But at the same time, you should not just be taking any risk to try to double up because... If you are consistently getting your money in bad, you're just going to lose. So I don't really view the small stakes games and the high stakes games as that different. Uh, I do understand that people play worse at the small stakes games, but that is a good thing for you. And if you just play fundamentally sound, you are going to win more as your opponents play worse. There's certainly many adjustments you can make to the small stakes games to take advantage of those players' mistakes. Um, for example, if they're all limping and then limp folding, right? Say they limp with their 15 big blind stack and they'll fold to any all-in, then you have a really easy all-in. Um, there was one player at Stones recently who would raise big with all of his big hands, like aces, kings, queens. He would raise small with his medium strength hands, like ace, ten, or pocket sixes. And then he would limp with all of his junk, like seven, five suited and jack four suited and whatnot. And if you can spot players like that, it's just the easiest game in the world, right? Because they are telling you very clearly exactly what they have. So you need to know how to play fundamentally well in case you do run into players who play well, but also you need to be aware of the adjustments you should make when your opponents are altering their strategy. Also, um, you may encounter people who are just blatantly maniacal. Again, I commentated on that game and there was someone who was playing maniacally and a lot of the players were not jamming over him very often. This player was opening very frequently and a few of his opponents had really good shove stacks that they should have been willing to shove to try to take away the chip lead and then win the tournament. But instead, they just folded, 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 slowly laddered up, eventually took like fourth place, and they were probably happy. But in reality, they had a shot to win, but they never, ever took it. And there is still a lot of play in these tournaments, even when the blinds go up somewhat quickly. So don't be discouraged into thinking that the game is entirely luck just because the blinds are going to go up somewhat quickly. Most of these tournaments still have some play, and even with short stacks, there is still a lot of play, especially if your opponents make pretty big blunders. So that's my thought on that. And again, I have those two books. You can get them at jonathanlittlepoker.com slash free. And I hope you enjoy them. Okay, thanks so much. Uh, let's take a quick break here to thank our official sponsor, Running Aces. And then we'll be back with thoughts from some of our contributing recreational players. Running Aces Casino and Racetrack has the best poker room in Minnesota. Featuring 24-7 promos on all cash poker games, including earning $2 per hour in comps plus the most player-friendly tourney structures. Visit RunAces.com for daily promotions and the tournament calendar. Running Aces Casino and Racetrack, the official sponsor of Rec Poker. Okay, let's close the episode with input from our recreational players, Matt Hamilton, Taylor Moss, Rob Washam, and Steve Olson. Hey, this is Matt Hamilton, and I have some thoughts on keys to... Um 
smaller buy-in tournaments versus bigger buy-in tournaments and larger fields. And I wanted to kind of break it down into two different parts. First, um, talk, a, talk a little bit about what I feel the key differences are between the two tournaments and then get into a little bit um, get into a little bit deeper as far as how to take what we know and what we learn from studying the game. And we usually talk about, you know, deeper stack depths and stuff. How do we take that and translate that into a tournament where we get short pretty quick and the field strength isn't that great? Um, so I'll just kind of get into it. So I feel like the 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 few key differences between like uh apologies in advance for all the um baby noises um so i feel like the key differences between the bigger buy-in tournaments and the smaller buy-in tournaments um basically boils boils down to uh three different things i feel like the field strength um so the level of play um Bigger buy-in tournaments in general have better players. Um, smaller buy-in tournaments in general have worse players. I'm not saying that um, everyone who plays small buy-in tournaments are bad or everyone who plays bigger buy-in tournaments are good, but that's just kind of the general um, general rule of thumb. So um, the field strength and then the stack depth and then the blind structure. So in smaller buy-in tournaments, you're going to get shorter a lot quicker because the blind structure is quicker and it's not built for two-day play or, you know, very long play. Generally, you want to get it done. The, tur- the, the tournament venue wants to get it done within um, six to eight hours or something. So um, they're going to structure it in a way that gets people short and inevitably... Um, you know, makes it so you have to play short stack poker. Um, so then I kind of um, wrote down a few keys to success for for small smaller buying tournaments, or what you can take from um, from studying poker in general and apply that to the smaller buying tournaments where the field strength isn't that um, isn't that strong oftentimes. Um, so my, my first point is, is just that, that, um, with the field strength not being as good, there's going to be more, um, there's going to be more weaknesses that you can, that you can spot easily compared to a tougher field where opponents don't make as many mistakes and they don't show as many, um, you know, visible, uh, mistakes. So, um, one thing I would say is um, just just really pay attention. You know that's that's something that you can take um, in any tournament that you play, any field strength, any amount of money. You can pay attention, get off your cell phone, or put it on airplane mode, whatever helps you focus at the table, and and really look for weaknesses that you can exploit. Um, so that's one of the the big things that, regardless of where you play or how much money you're playing for you can practice paying attention because that's really going to help you. Um, and, um, and then the second thing I would say, and, and this is probably the most important thing to, to 
really focus on with these smaller buy-in tournaments that get done quicker is is how to play with a short stack. Okay, so what I mean by that is when you have, and when I say short stack, I'm talking about anything, um, we'll say anything under 20 big blinds. Okay, because that's going to be, you're going to spend a lot of time in that window um, when you get when you get into these smaller buying tournaments. So um, I would say um, the biggest thing that separates a good player from a not so great player in these tournaments are how they play short stacks. Because with how quick the blind structure is, um, unless you're really crushing the tournament and you're just never losing, which rarely happens, um, you're going you're gonna to inevitably find yourself um, within the range of, of being a short stack. So I think one of the big mistakes that people make, um, particularly early on in a tournament and um, when there's rebuys, is they'll lose a couple pots early on and then they'll just feel like, ah, you know, I just got to... I just got to gamble now, and uh, you know, either either bust and go home, or re- uh, not sorry, not bust and go home, bust and rebuy, or or run up a stack. Um, I, I think that is a is a really um, is a really flawed approach to the game, and will will definitely contribute to to you losing money because if you're not comfortable playing a short stack, um, you're going to severely suffer. Um, in these tournaments over the long run. So one of the keys to success is being comfortable with a short stack and knowing what to do with it. So um, getting in a little deeper as far as how to play with a short stack, I would say, um, and, and this is something that you can take from studying you know, bigger buy-in um, tournaments as well. This is kind of a universal thing that you can, that you can focus on. Um, is is what hand ranges what are your shove ranges so um you know for example if i'm in the cutoff with 11 big blinds and i pick up ace eight suited what am i going to do with that what am i going to do with that am, am i raising am i shoving am i folding um what's my plan Right, and I think a lot of people don't have that plan in their mind, so they end up making mistakes that they otherwise wouldn't. I see so many like um, really bad shoves in my mind because I'm, you know, I, I've spent a lot of time in the last six months working on what what my shove ranges are and with what stack depths, um, and uh, you know, like I'll see someone someone open shove like. A seven offsuit in in early position with with eleven or twelve big blinds and in my mind that's that's a really big mistake. Um, but but so so really um, uh, one rec- <laughs> sorry about that. One recommendation I have is to find uh, push fold charts that um, that you can study and and even print out, bring, bring them, bring a copy of them to a poker table. Um, and and just look at them, you know, when you get short, just look at them and say, okay, what's, what's my plan in this position? Um, that way, you know, uh, exactly what you're going to do with whatever cards that you get. Um, so you don't have to kind of guess in your mind, well, what should I do with this hand in this situation? Because in these smaller buying tournaments, you're going to, 
you're going to get in that situation so often where you have to choose, you know, what am I shoving with? What am I calling with? Raising with? Whatever. So um, that would be my, my number one recommendation is to is to um, really get that down. And, and um, a couple of things that I've used. Um, one thing that I really like is, is actually an app for a cell phone app. It's called Snapshove. Um, and this is an app um, that you basically, you know, there's a free version and there's a paid version. Um, I, I, I purchased the app because I really like it, but, but basically you can put in how many big blinds you have and what position you are, and it, tell, it will tell you what ranges it recommends that you shove with. Okay, and then you can, you can change, and then it changes. Like if you fold, it'll automatically change to what you should shove with in the next position. Um, so it really, and you can literally, you know, plug in the information as you're playing. You know, you get short sacks, pop out your cell phone, figure out what your shove range should be, and just kind of keep that, you know, hold that in your lap as you play. When you fold, you can say, I folded, and I'll give you new shove ranges. You know, this, is, this would be a really good way to um, study and practice while you play, and then eventually you don't have to use that while you play because, you know, it's so ingrained in your mind, but it's going to take a while to do that, and it can be a little overwhelming looking at a whole bunch of shove charts um, and trying to memorize that. So um, I would recommend that app, uh, Snapshove. Um, and, uh, or, or you could also you know, Google, Google different shove ranges. I've used uh, ranges from upswingpoker.com um, that Doug Polk is, is really big into. Um, but yeah, I would just recommend um, being practicing that a lot because um, the reality is, is, you know, short stack play, while it's more common in smaller buying tournaments because the, the stack depth is just inherently shallower, um, that's also going to happen in bigger buying tournaments. So it's a great way to practice what you, uh, what you shove with. Um, it's, it's a great way to practice those ranges, and that will be you know, um, very helpful for you, even in the bigger buying tournaments as well. So, so yeah, just, just to summarize, two of the key points that I, that I think are kind of universal between the two, between the two types of tournaments um, are, are paying attention to, to your opponents, paying attention to what they do and how you can exploit them, um, and keeping in mind that in, in smaller buying tournaments in general, uh, there's going to be worse players and more mistakes for you to pay attention to. So it's a great way to practice that. Um, and you can, and you can carry that through um, every level of, of tournament play, and then um, and then getting a really good getting a really good feel for practicing short stack play. That's my thoughts for now. Thank you for listening. Greetings, Rec Poker listeners. This is Taylor Moss. Today we're talking about the differences between the larger buy-in tournaments and the smaller buy-in tournaments and how we can translate some of our learnings. Number one, I think the biggest consideration for us to realize is the blind levels and how fast they accelerate in smaller buy-in tournaments. Typically, when we're playing in smaller buy-in tournaments, they're designed to get people in and out of the door fairly quickly. Um, so they usually have blind levels in the 15 to 20 minute range. Um, so 
we should go in and be aware of that. So even if we start with uh, a stack of, you know, 100 big blinds or 200 big blinds, that quickly changes and becomes a 40 big blind stack after just an hour of play. And then after another hour of play, we're essentially at a 15 big blind stack or, you know, something similar. So we need to realize that we're essentially playing in a turbo tournament and we need to uh, be less selective with the spots we, that we take. And by this, I mean, uh, if we're analyzing a spot and we assume it to be, you know, neutral EV or um, only slightly positive EV, we have to be willing to go with those plays that we have uh, just because we're not going to be able to sit around and wait for a better opportunity. Um, so we have to be willing to take flips and apply pressure to other players because um, they're not going to be able to sit around and wait for plays as well. So all in all, it, it essentially becomes uh, a much quicker game. And even if we think that we're the best player in these smaller buy-in tournaments, we lose a lot of our edge just because um, we're playing a shorter game and we're not getting to play as much. Um, so a good thing to point out is, yes, the low weekly buy-in tournaments, you get to a final table and the average chip stack is, you know, 10 big blinds or something like that. And we need to realize when everyone has these 10 big blind stacks, there's not much skill in the game outside of preflop decisions. And you'll realize that as everyone becomes short stacked, it's uh, very much a preflop game and you need to be sound on your uh, preflop ranges that you're playing in terms of like the pusher fold charts. Um, so we need to know when certain spots are um, a good spot for us to shove all in with our small stack, uh, when we should be folding and um, kind of have that on lock. So when we're in those situations, we feel confident about our plays. Um, and then lastly, when it is that 10 big blind stack at the final table, a lot of it comes down to luck. So we just got to hope that we get the cards at the right time. And uh, if we do get it in with the best of it that our hand holds, we can easily get sucked down onto if we get in with a better hand. Um, so it's, it's tough to play these smaller buy-in tournaments because a lot does come down to luck. Um, I guess that's true with any poker tournament, right? Uh, so we need to go in, know that we're playing a turbo, and that our skill edge diminishes as the blind levels become shorter and shorter. This is Rob Washam for the March 10th Rec Poker Podcast. We have got some random thoughts on low buy-in, fast structured tournaments. First of all, be prepared to play a high variance style. Because of the speed of the tournament, you will not be able to wait for premium hands or the best spots. With that being said, there are some things to keep in mind. As in all tournaments, it is important to get to know the types of player on your table. You need to determine who are the regs and who are the casual, inexperienced players. Pay attention to how comfortable they are at the table and who they talk to. This will be a good indication of who are the regs. In the early stages, when you open raise, you can expect half the table to come along for the ride. You will have to navigate post-flop very carefully. Some will play very straightforward after the flop, and some will call down with any pair. You should generally play a little tighter early on and use pot control. 
when an inexperienced player makes an unusually large bet, unless you're holding a monster, it would be a good idea to fold. Early on three bets will get a lot more respect, and you can use this to your advantage in the right spots. If an inexperienced player three bets, you can be sure he's holding the goods. When you know a player is only raising with premium holdings, you can call in position with speculative hands. If you hit with your suited connectors or small pairs, this type of player will never see it coming. These tournaments usually allow rebuys. Pay attention to the players that are not afraid to bust because they're prepared to rebuy. Be cautious when this type of player shows aggression. They are trying to build a stack or bust and rebuy to try again. Unless you have a very good hand, you don't want to get involved. Don't let them build a stack with your chips. About halfway through the tournament, the play will become more normal. You can expect fewer callers on your preflop opens, and the players remaining will, for the most part, be thinking players. Now is when your poker reading and training will help you navigate through the field and to the final table. We talked last week about playing the bubble. In these tournaments, you may find more people just trying to cash. They've been sitting there for a couple hours, they're getting antsy, maybe looking over at the juicy cash game going on at the next table, maybe thinking about their plans later that day. This type of player just wants to cash and get on with their life. Take advantage of these players and build your stack. When the bubble bursts, expect a lot of loose play. Like the rebuy, rebuy period, people are not afraid to bust. Finally, if you do make it to the final table, you will find the stacks rather shallow, maybe 10 to 20 big blinds. There will be very little post-flop play on the final table. Playing tight and looking for jam spots is the way to go. Good luck out there. Hey guys, this is Steve Ohl, uh talking this week for Rec Poker. And the subject this week is daily tournaments. Often the conversation, as Steve Friendland has said, focuses on the deeper tournaments, multi-day tournaments, bigger buy-ins. You know, what works in those compared to what maybe won't work so well in the dailies. And let's face it, as rec poker players, most of us are probably spending most of our time in these daily tournaments. You know, $30, $50, $75 buy-ins. You know, they're generally over in four, five, six hours. Um, you know, and one of the, the main differences, obviously, is going to be in the level of competition. You know, I, I don't want to say poor player, but maybe let's use maybe we'll use the term inexperienced. There's going to be more inexperienced players in these tournaments than you're going to find in the bigger buy-in multi-day tournaments. So I'm fine sitting back, being patient, waiting for those mistakes to happen from those players and capitalizing. You know, an example would be, you know, at Running Aces, if we have a $30 tournament, you could get 120 buy-ins. So next day, let's say there's a $50 daily tournament. You know, those buy-ins will drop to 60, maybe 70 players. You know, the field almost gets cut in half just by a $20 increase in in the buy-in cost, um, you know, which just kind of goes to show, you know, to the, the player that you're getting. Um. You know, my strategy for winning dailies, um, and my goal always in them, it's always to win it or to chop it first place. However, you cannot do that without making the final table. And remember, in these tournaments, usually 
not much more than the final table is getting paid. And if your home casino happens to be a smaller casino, these dailies might only be paying three, four, five, six spots. So it's you really got to do what you got to do to get to the final table. Um, once I get to the final table, then I completely shift gears. We'll talk about that later. Um, so first of all, you know, the, the two P's are unbelievably important to me in these. Patience and position. I always try to play from position. Um, really not much is more important than that because so many mistakes are going to be happening in front of you if you play from position. And patience. I mean, I'm, I, I play these things really tight, especially as at the beginning levels of the tournament, and then I'll slowly ratchet up my aggression as the tournament goes on. And then at the final table, um, that's when I'll really let it rip. And if people have been playing with me, it'll throw them off a little bit because I, I had been playing so tight. Um, and with that patience, I think it's really important to get comfortable playing a short stack. You know, the deck is not always going to hit you in the head. You're not always going to be able to, to amass a, a whole lot of chips um, right away. I'm really comfortable playing a short stack. It doesn't bother me to have 10, 15, 20 bigs. Um, I, just, I just know in my heart my spot's going to come, and I'll be able to take advantage of it. Um, and remember too, when you're getting to the final table in these things, you know, 20, 30 bigs is the average. You can come in an eighth, ninth spot and usually you're two double ups from the chip lead. So, you know, be comfortable playing a short stack. You don't always have to just go, 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 try and do a massive giant stack. And the next thing you know, you're bounced and you're on the rail. Uh, another thing that tends to happen in these daily tournaments, especially with less experienced players, and I can't stress it enough, is don't overvalue trap hands. Take advantage of players who are overvaluing trap hands, and it happens all the time in these things. If you have a big stack, there's no reason to mess with the other big stack at the table. If that you know, if the other big stack is a solid player and raising from early position, there's nothing wrong with giving that player some respect. I uh, you know, I I would fold that ace jack in a heartbeat pre-flop. It just isn't worth getting involved with. Um, anyway, that's a great example. Um, and you know, it's an example of how pots get overinflated. You know, trap hands. Just you know, there's so many things going on there. Anyway, final table. When I get to the final table, that is the time I really let it rip and I get aggressive. However, when I do it, I'm always the better. I'm always the aggressor. I'm always the guy getting my chips in the middle first. I rarely am a caller at the final table unless I really wake up with a big hand. You know, guys aren't looking to go broke. Guys aren't... Or, Players aren't looking to go broke. They're not looking to, you know, to um, you know make mistakes. And you can take advantage of it. Um, and I've and quite frankly, I've had good results. Um, always better off, you know, to be the aggressor in that situation and and you know let the chips fall and and see what happens. But uh, it's been a good strategy and it's worked good for me. Uh, thanks a lot. You all have a good good week at the tables this week. Um, bye-bye. Okay, that's it for today. Thanks to the Rex. Thanks to the pros. Thanks to everybody who's given feedback on the program. 
Please tell other people about us, like us, leave a comment. If you want a patch, let me know if you meet those qualifications that I talked about earlier. Also, if you have any feedback, topic suggestions, hand situations, uh, let me know through Facebook, Twitter, or email me directly, stevefredland at gmail.com. And make sure you post those pictures of yourself with the patch out there uh, and tag Rec Poker, and we'll, we'll make sure we get you, get you a shout-out or get you entered into the drawing. Okay, so that's it. Until next week, Steve Fredland, take care.